I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Class is in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. Charges is created by Portal A and Control Media. It's produced by DB Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. This time, a former Suns player who you might remember as T-Rex. More video in just a moment, but this is Rex Chapman's mugshot, and we are learning a lot more about the charges. Tell me about the PED suspension. You suspended four games. Listen, I'm not here to make an excuse for it, but the next year in training camp, they test me, I get popped. And it's like, damn, he rolls the window down. And as the window's rolling down, he's grabbing, he's reaching for his glove box. There's no way of fixing it. It's like, once you lose it, you can't get it back. Welcome back to Charges. I'm your host, Rex Chapman. Today on the show, we have DeQuell Jackson, a man who made himself into a great pro. He was a legend in college, as a two-time All-American and a standout in the brutal game of professional football. A captain and someone who I think most guys would want with them in the trenches. And then, almost out of nowhere, a few events happened that we'll talk about. And DeQuell was out of the NFL and looking around wondering just what happened and what is happening to him and his brain. This is Charges. Charges. Well, thanks so much for being here and welcome to the show, man. Hey, Rex, thanks for having me. I can't say it enough. This is a topic that needs to be discussed and I'm, I'm happy you've created that platform to do so. Well, you know, I've wanted to talk to a football player for some time now. Um, obviously, I played college basketball. Sure. Many of my friends were played on the on the football team. You know, we lifted in the same facility back then. They would 
you know, come up and poke me, my little chicken right, bone right, chest right. and we all that. We definitely had at Maryland, we definitely uh, was really close with the basketball team as well. And uh, we would play in the summer and things like that. But, uh, you know, it, it was fun. Th- those days were fun. Yeah. At, to that point, though, guys in college, you know, not basketball players, but college football players, if you play four or five years of college football, you're getting the same kind of brain trauma over and over and over, right? No doubt. I mean, at some point, isn't that something that has to be addressed with the NCAA? And Because, I mean, you guys, it's one thing to get out of college and not have, you know, insurance and right. retirement and stuff when you played basketball or ran track. or It's just a different sport. Right. You know, your sport is very, very different. And it's just hard for me to, you know, not everybody gets to go on and play like yourself. So that, I'm just saying, I think there's some stuff that, that's got to be done at some point. Yeah, no, I agree because I, I remember when, I don't specifically remember the year, but Corey Stringer is a name that stands out to me. He played for the Minnesota Vikings. He was a guy who died from heat heat exhaustion in the NFL and immediately the NFL adopted this rule where they would overhire people just to have water buckets and ice towels to make sure no one overheated and also to make sure you know guys were getting the proper uh, properly hydrated getting fluids and it was just a huge shift and now you talk about the collegiate game with the young you know college athletes playing football well in the NFL they have this thing called um what is it they take care of their players at a different rate than at college, man. When I was in college, there was no rules. There was no rules to say you can't hit this many times. We can we can play as long as we want. And, you know, a lot of these guys are being let go and they're having issues five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years later that never manifested at such a young age. You know, I've had buddies who played the game and, you know, whether they were 22 or 25, a lot of these issues don't manifest until you're a lot, lot older. And at that point, if you hadn't played in the NFL and you hadn't made a, an exorbitant amount of money, you can take care of yourself from a health standpoint. But there's a lot of guys from the collegiate game that are struggling right now. And yeah, I think the yeah. NFL has to get with the NCAA to bridge that gap between you know what's happening in the NFL and what's happening at the collegiate level for sure. I'm with you. Uh, well, let's start here. Let's go back uh, with the love of the game. You know, tell me this. Where did you grow up and how did football enter your life? Yeah, yeah. So I'm from a small city in Florida called Largo. And I tell you what, it's so small. My mother used to say, uh, you better tell me who you're crushing on because it could be your cousin. That's how <laughs> that, that that that's how small the community was, you know, and and a couple times she was right. <laughs> you, hey, I'm, you from, know? I'm from Kentucky. I get it. <laughs> right. So so my, my love for football started at a very young age, Rex. Like I was that kid. I grew up in Florida, so Tampa Bay, the Bucks were my favorite team. And I used to – I remember back in the day they had these, like, plastic uniforms with plastic helmet and shoulder pads, and I remember sleeping in it to the point I wanted to go to school in this football uniform. So my love for the game started when I was probably, like, five years old, and I started playing organized football when I was seven, and I never missed a year. And so uh, my uncle – my uncle Charles, he was a huge influence in my life. He was a military guy. So the way I would get disciplined when I was younger was if I didn't take out the trash or do dishes or, you know, messed up in school for whatever reason, he would take me out and we called his run the Kumba. 
he would find the biggest <laughs> field he possibly could find, and we would run around this field. In every corner, we would either do sit-ups or push-ups or jumping jacks. He would work my ass out. You hear me? It's and, basically it's coaching. You were right. getting coached from a really young age because we're all punished by doing more, right? Right, right. In sports. <laughs> right, right. right. So, <laughs> it, so when I started playing organized football, it was it became easy. You know, and I just I love the game so much. And I was a part of that old culture that we call it the um, what do you call it? I forget. This is a drill where two guys, you lay on your back and you just. Oh, you know, yeah. You collide. Uh, something like Oklahoma. Oklahoma like drill. What is Oklahoma, it? Is that the Oklahoma. It? Yeah. The Oklahoma drill. Okay. So I grew up in that culture, man. And I, I loved it at the time. You know, I absolutely loved it. And See, I hated it. I thought I was a football player and everything. I realized uh, I liked hitting. I didn't like getting hit. Yeah, you know? well, well, I got a funny story. So for me, I thought I loved the game, but I was right there in line with you. I didn't want when I realized when I got hit for the first time, I boohoo cried. I threw my helmet, shoulder pads. I'm done with this. But that uncle who I told you about that would take me out running and and push ups and sit ups. He was my coach, so I could not quit. So my first three years, there was a guy named Cornelius Thomas. We're still friends to this day. He was the biggest, baddest young dude that played on our team. And every day we would hit, my uncle would make me go against Cornelius Thomas, and I would boo-hoo cry and boo-hoo cry. <laughs> and one day, I tell you what, right, one day I got fed up. I was like, I'm not taking this anymore. And I I won that battle, and we fought right after that. But at that moment, a light bulb went off. As, if I can be the aggressor, the collision won't hurt as much, and right. it just a light switch went off, and I was was hooked from the very beginning. But what age was that? This was probably nine or ten, nine Man, or ten that's years. That's a blessing. Old. That is yeah. a blessing. If that's what you're going to do with your life, that is a blessing to get that mindset at that age. Yeah, it just and it was it was a great teacher because I realized I was so competitive, and it taught me every day how to bounce back from failure. It was every day it was the result of a coach telling you you did well, you didn't do well. And for a young person, I think it's a great tool, especially nowadays, to be able to manage failure because that's the real world, you know. And my uncle was fantastic at those teaching moments. Man, that's terrific. Here on Time Warner Sports Report, my name is Eric Keaton, and we're still at Raymond James Stadium despite all of the rowdy crowd behind us. Time now to talk about our Defensive Player of the Year. Well, Eric, as you know, there were a lot of great defensive players in high school football this year in Pinellas County. But our Defensive Player of the Year, he's only a junior. He's got a big-time future, and that's Seminole linebacker Dequel Jackson. It's obvious Jackson possesses those skills, and his hunger to play the game is easily noticed. He's the kind of player that doesn't want to come off the field anyway, so he's, he conditions himself to, to play both, both ways, but we will never know how much better he would be if he's fresh every down on defense. The Warhawk defense is the reason Seminole went deep into the postseason. Statistically, Jackson led Seminole in tackles and tackles for a loss. What kind of a player were you in high school? I saw in my research you were a three-star recruit, yes. uh, and not a lot of guys, you know, with the NFL career you had are three-star guys, which I've always felt was three-star for. I mean, come on, come on, they're, <laughs> right. they're kids. They're kids. Some are gonna grow. Some are not gonna grow. You know, right? Right. I blame Tom but, Lemming. I blame Tom. It was a. It was a publishing that just would you know rank all you these know guys. His name. Right. Yeah. Right. I'll never forget his name. Oh, he pissed me off. He pissed me off, and uh, I did it all. Play on offense? Oh, yeah. I was 
from the time I stepped on the field, I always played quarterback and linebacker. <sighs> and in high school, I was my freshman year, I played receiver and free safety. I'm not fast enough, but I could catch. So that that marriage didn't work out all that well. So my sophomore year, I transferred uh, high schools, and now I'm playing quarterback and I'm playing linebacker. I never came off the field. And at one point, I was the, wow. the punter. You know, I went to punting camps and, oh, I, I did it all. Man. I loved great. the game, man. It, it, I loved every bit of it, every aspect of the game. The quarterback side gave me – it helped me become a better linebacker. And vice versa. Now, we ran the wing tee. I didn't throw the ball a ton. But, you know, it was I was more in a position of leadership at that point to motivate the guys around me to, you know, because I would, you know, talk a little trash to them and give them confidence that we can beat this team. Yeah. Because, Rex, I went to a – I was at a predominantly white school, which is fine, but it was only like a handful of black guys there, and we were badasses, man, on the football field. Like, those guys, man, I still keep in touch with a ton of them, but I did it all on the football field. How'd you end up at Maryland, and and what made you decide to be a Terrapin? Yeah, yeah. So the current coach right now at the University of Maryland is a guy by the name of Mike Loxley. At the time when I was in high school, I was a three-star recruit. No one really recruited me. I would go to two camps a year. That was UCF and USF, University of Central Florida and University of South Florida. And there, a guy named Gene Chiswick, who went on to be the head coach at Auburn, yeah. he was yep. the first guy to give me a, a scholarship my, I think, my junior year of high school. And then it kind of just snowballed. And Maryland was the next team in line, particularly Mike Loxley. He reached out. I was living with my grandparents at the time. He developed the friendship with them. He made me feel like this was my uncle. Now, I could have gone to LSU at the time where Nick Saban was there. Um NC State, Chuck Amato was there. You know, I had a handful of offers, decent D1 offers, but Maryland, for whatever reason, I had that connection with Mike Loxley. He, you had never been to Maryland, though. I had never, I mean, I had never been no on a plane. Real, I had right, never been on right. a plane out of high school. And yeah. just the back and forth, he was honest with me. He told me the truth. I wanted to play right away. And I just wanted to feel like a sense of home. And then when I was able to take my visit, I was around like-minded guys who love football, but they also was invested in the school side of it. You know, it was more so yeah. about talking about both. And I can envision myself actually living. In my mind, as a high schooler, I wanted to be in a place where I can potentially live when I'm done playing. And it happened. I'm still in the DMV area. It was the first year after Ralph Region had gotten to Maryland. They won 10 games, got blown out by University of Florida. And, uh, when I got here, I was culture shocked, man. You know, me coming from a small city and coming to this big metropolitan area, it was rough my first year, man. I remember Where calling the my— The national news is the local news. Right, I mean, right. The right, it, right. It, yeah, it was like I was out of place. I'm like, this is a different world to me. And luckily, I have some friendships I created my freshman year. Was still close to this day. They helped me kind of. It was a bunch of guys from the South, the guys from North Carolina, a guy from Texas, another guy from Florida. We knew what we were kind of dealing with and we helped each other. So, uh, amazing. yeah, it was funny how things come full circle. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. 
Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. What happened and when that led you to your transformation as just this unstoppable defensive force? You know what? So there was one school that I wanted to offer, that I wanted an offer for, that I wanted to, I wanted them to offer me and no one else would have had another shot at, was Florida State. I was getting ready to say Florida State. (laughs) Dude, growing up in my town, Florida State was like, you were king. And so we weren't really UF fans, the Gator fans, and they had offered me. I was like, no, I can't. I can't. I I, I can't do it. I'm a Florida (laughs) State fan. Just off your allegiance. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I can't do it. Just off of allegiance alone, (laughs) I cannot do it. And Florida State never offered me, man. They never offered me. So to answer your question, when it really – so my sophomore year, I'm a starter. And E.J. Henderson, the guy who won the uh, Dick Buckets Award at linebacker, he had graduated. So now I'm a shoe-in starter. The second game of the season, my sophomore year, we're playing at Dope Campbell Stadium. We're playing the team that overlooked me. And I know all the other linebackers they had recruited that are playing. They were, they were all good. Don't get me wrong. But I thought I was better than at least one of them. you know. And the first play of the game, Chris Ricks is the quarterback. And I'm, I'm like super geeked for this game. And first play of the game, Rex throws an out route to the uh, tight end. I intercept it. I uh, return it for 58 yards. I score a touchdown. And at that moment, Rex, after that game, I went on to have like 10 plus tackles. I blocked a kick. And I remember th- I've never felt that there's, there's moments in your life where you feel like, damn, I think I'm better than what I actually, than I am. You know, I think I'm better. And I'm this very humble, obedient kid mm-hmm. at the time, you know. And uh, it, the confidence just oozed out of me. I knew at that moment I could play at the next level. I just did it against you some knew, of the best of the best. You knew then you could play on Sundays. There was at no that doubt. Moment. There was no That's doubt great. in my mind, and my grades started to take a hit after that because the, the, the focus was shifted. And that's the moment 
that's the moment that it still gives me chills thinking about it. Oh, that's a beautiful story. It really is. <laughs> uh, the school that overlooked you too. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go. Let's go to the draft. What yes. did it feel like when you got the call? Whew, man. Oh my gosh. It's hard to put it into words. It, it, you know, I was there with my family, the people that I love. I didn't have this big, massive, you know, watch party, anything. I did. It was too much pressure for me. I wanted people that if things didn't work out the way I thought they would, if they didn't work out the way I thought they would, I wouldn't feel embarrassed in front of these people. So it was all my close family and friends. And I remember getting a phone call. I thought I was going to go. So I petitioned the NFL to see where I would get drafted. They told me anywhere between late first and early second round. Talked to some teams. I thought I was going to either Jacksonville or Dallas. And it didn't happen. And Rex, I tell you, I, I had to remove myself from the room where all my family was watching mm-hmm. the draft. I was like, I have to get away. I broke down. Mm-hmm. I absolutely broke down mm-hmm. crying. I was like, man, this is too much. So <sighs> I like put my phones up and, uh, you know, you know, entitled little kid at this point. It's like, mm-hmm. this is just the first round, like relax. But in my mind, it's everything. And uh, so I go to the restroom and I'm actually using the restroom and I have my phones near me and the phone that I have dedicated for NFL execs or what have you goes off. So if you can imagine without me being too detailed, yeah, I'm, right, you, right. I'm using you, a bag yeah. and I'm grabbing, right. I got, you know, <laughs> both hands are working and I'm talking to a GM and I've never told this story because it's, you know, I don't want to put these guys out, but I'm like, pants are halfway down and I just dra- forget it. Yes, I would love to be a Cleveland Brown. Thank you, Lord. It happened. What You know, it's like, I don't know what pick it is. All I know is they called me and was like, would you love to be a Cleveland Brown? And Phil Savage, kudos to Phil Savage. That's my guy for taking a chance on an undersized linebacker out of a school that didn't win a ton of games. And uh, yeah, man, it was a classic story. Caught you literally with your pants down. Yeah. That's great. Pretty much. That's great. <laughs> well, you, you're going into the uh, Browns legends this year. Yeah. So yeah, your time that, your time there was pretty special. You know, when did you feel like, okay, I'm a pro. I know what I'm doing out here. I feel good and confident, and this is what I do. So I got two parts to that, that answer. The first answer, when I realized I was a pro, was when I was injured. I had told my pecs back-to-back years, and I remember – the guy who drafted me, Phil Savage, approaching me in the hallway once and telling me, hey, if we're here next year, you'll have a new deal. And at that time, I was spending money that I thought I was going to get. and I was just living on the edge, man, and not really buckling down and not understanding a promise is a promise. There's nothing on paper here. Right. <laughs> you know, so right. that was the first moment I realized wait, this is a business. And a new, uh, you know, he gets fired. A new guy comes in, Eric Mangini. Yeah. And they're like, I don't care what the hell they promised you. You were, they're looking at, they're looking at me and everyone else in that locker room as being part of the problem, not part of the solution. So, you know, that was the first instance I realized like, oh, damn, this is different. This is different. But the moment I realized on the field that I had arrived was a year after those two injuries and learn, going through that mental just anguish of not being where you want it. They signed me to a one-year deal. And I remember that whole year I was on a tear. I was on a scorched earth just tour of just killing people. And it was at practice. It was in the games. Rex, I probably didn't have any friends that year. Everybody hated me. <laughs> My teammates hated me because I practiced hard. It was like I have yeah. one shot. And this is a point where – 
I did a deep dive. I, I was at IMG Academy and a guy named Trevor Muau. And I was going through a divorce at the time. I felt, you know, I didn't have a prenup. You know, I'm thinking the world is crumbling at my fingertips. And this guy who was a sports psychiatrist, he would always hang around the guys working out. And he wasn't pushy at all. We built a rapport. And I, I showed up in his office one day. And he asked me what I wanted. He was like, what do you want? I'm like, what do you mean? What, what, what do you? He was like, what the F do you want? So we made this like diagram of everything I needed to do to get to the pinnacle of my goals. And my goals was a five-year contract worth X amount for X amount of dollars. And when I tell you it was the best thing that I could have done for myself mentally, because before that, I had only known how to train my body. You right. know, and this was the first experience of my mind being trained and we developed some techniques and I felt unstoppable when that happened. You know, then you segue, that spills over to the field and I was on this scorched, you know, tour of just chopping every, killing everyone, man, you know, on the field, you know, and uh, I don't know if there was a specific moment. That year alone was just, just unbelievable. Just unbelievable how focused yeah. I was. That's awesome. American football can be unforgiving on and off the field. The brutal nature of football in regards to contracts, injuries, lifestyles, and more is arguably the most difficult of any professional athlete. A star today can be cut tomorrow, especially if their contract is not guaranteed. Can you imagine what that does to a person? And yet the train rolls on. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. I 
Another NFL player is in some trouble with the law. Colts linebacker Dequell Jackson was arrested on Tuesday and charged with assault. Now, the incident happened in Washington, D.C., where Jackson allegedly punched a pizza delivery driver in the face and head. The driver reportedly told police he was going to use a parking space for a minute when Jackson told him to get out of his parking spot and then punched him. On Monday, the Colts said they were disappointed in linebacker Dequell Jackson after he was found guilty in a 2015 assault case. Jackson's sentencing is scheduled for April 6th. He could face up to 180 days in jail for a simple assault, but that sentence could be reduced. You know, obviously this is charges. We talk about the good, talk about the bad. Sure, uh, sure. You know, tell me about what happened in, in D.C. in 2015 with the parking space yeah, uh, yeah. at the back of your place. Yeah, so this was on the hills. I just made my first Pro Bowl. You know, I, I was with Indy, you know, had a great year. Um, I intercepted Tom Brady in the AFC Championship game. Now they're talking about the Flate Gate. And, you know, my name is on top of everyone's lips. Like, I didn't have a care in the world. Mm -hmm. So that incident you're talking about, where the Pro Bowl was in Arizona. My wife and my family, we fly back. We all go our separate ways. My wife and I, uh, we're in D.C. And she was taking a spin class. You know, this was 2015, so I pick her up from spin class, and where our apartment is in D.C., the one, th one reason I love D.C. is I love the, uh, I hope I say this word right, anonymity, right? It's like you're exposed to the elements, right? It's like you're just a free bird. If you sit at a bar or someplace and people don't assume you're an athlete, I love that part of it, right? But our condo, our parking space was uh, on an uh, alleyway, so... If you've ever been to D.C., that U Street corridor area is busy, you know, packed. from it's packed to the brim uh, from Howard students and people just join the, you know, elements. And we deal with a lot of people parking our parking spaces. Now, we're used to it. So this particular day, I picked my wife up from spin class and like normal, you know, we get ready to park. There's a car in our in our parking space. So you hit the horn, you know, nothing. Usually when you hit the horn, you flash the lights. They realize, oh, they shouldn't be there. They leave because it's a sign that says no trespassing. And so the guy isn't moving. Now, my wife is in the passenger seat. So this is the mistake I made. I got out of the car. I get out of the car. His window's up. I'm knocking on the window. Hey, you know, this is my parking space. You got to move. He looks and just kind of ignore me. And now I'm getting, I'm getting pissed. Now I'm knocking a little harder. Now I'm talking a little louder. Hey, get the... F out of my parking mm -hmm. space. Nothing is happening. He's still looking at me, and I'm like, what the heck is going on? And all of a sudden, out of the blue, Rex, I can see it. I can put myself in that moment. It gives me chills just thinking about it. He rolls the window down, and as the window's rolling down, he's grabbing, he's reaching for his glove box. And where I'm from, how I grew up, and you hear things in D.C., that means danger to me. And so when he did that, he reached. I grabbed him. I admitted to the car. I grabbed him around his neck. I grabbed his arm. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? What are you? I restrained him. And immediately, which is terrible, my wife is still in the car. I, I run to U Street where there's a ton of foot traffic cops. I grab a cop. I tell him, hey, I got this crazy guy in my parking space. He won't leave. Yeah, I thought he was reaching for a weapon or something. I grabbed him. That was it. We come back. The guy's trying to pull out of the parking space. He stops him. He asked the guy his version of the story. And this guy basically said, I did everything to him other than 
I mean, it was ridiculous. It was so ridiculous to the point where I was like kind of chuckling. I'm like, you cannot. I was like, look at me and look at him. If my intentions were to hurt this person, I would He'd like to hurt. think he would he would be on the ground still. Yeah. So <laughs> next thing you know, sir, put your hands behind your back. I'm getting cuffed. You know, a lot of the cops didn't know. You know, now it's the scene. Now we're in an alleyway. Mm -hmm. This is a, a, you know, a nice neighborhood. You know, and D.C. is in a, you know, everyone lives among each other. And I just remember just having that feeling of just like out of all my years, I've avoided and try to be a few steps ahead of any. Never incident. been in trouble in your life. Never right? been in trouble in my life. Yeah. Never. Never. I'm 30 plus years old. I'm going home. It's not a weekend. This is like a eight o'clock on like a Tuesday. I'm not drunk. I hadn't had anything to drink. I'm as clear headed as I can be. And I get arrested trying to park in my parking space. And the stories you heard after that was just, you know, the quail beats up a pizza man because, you know, he, he, you know, just it was so just not the truth. And when I was basically in the situation where I, I thought I was going to be killed, potentially, I was protecting myself. I take it to trial. I lose the trial. The guy was. Yeah, so based on what happened, you thought you could beat it. Uh, that's why you went to trial, right? Yeah, so the guy tried to sue me for over a million dollars. Over a million dollars. And he, he refused medical care. There was no medical care. So all the things that he said that I apparently did, he said I, I threw him over the hood. I kicked him. I did all these different things. We lose, basically, because in D.C., if you admit an unwanted touch is considered a simple assault. A misdemeanor. So I was there was no fine, there was no probation or anything like that. The NFL fined me, I think like ten or fifteen thousand dollars. And the guy ended up getting six figures. Thank goodness I had wow. really great insurance. But the guy collected six figures off of and here's the thing. When I was in Indy playing, my wife was in DC working. So she dealt with a lot of this all the time. And I would tell her, do not get out of the car, call the police. And I didn't listen to my own freaking, you know, but it, it was just an unfortunate event, man. And and she was being stalked at her job. We were uh, having, I can see, I can feel the regret in your voice and yeah, in the man, story. Just, I'm so sorry. It, you know what? You know, you, I own it, tough. man. And and it's just like <laughs> you realize on the back nine of my career when I'm not doing anything to throw my, you know, <laughs> I'm not doing that. Dequell Jackson may lead the NFL in tackles, but he won't be seeing any playing time in the next four weeks. The Colts linebacker is suspended from the league for violating its policy on performance-enhancing substances. Now you go through the arrest. It's the following season, 2015-16, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me about the PED suspension. You suspended four games. Uh, How'd that come about? What yeah. was happening? Man, I invested into my recovery, plain and simple. I, I'm a guy that I'm a huge component of uh, growth hormones, HGH. I think every guy that has an injury um, that requires surgery should be prescribed a certain, a healthy dose of growth hormone. Our body produces it. At the right dosage, it's healthy. It helps repair those broken down ligaments and it's nothing but beneficial if taken right. And I was the guy, if you ask anyone who ever played with me, Rex, hell, DeQuell was like a gym rat. He would try anything that I thought that could help me. And the it, if the line was right here in front of me, I was towing the line. 
you know, when it comes to my recovery, because you realize the position I played, I played a con there was no avoiding contact. There was no avoiding the collision. So I had to do what was best for me to, to provide for my family. And when you love something so much, you're willing to do anything to, to succeed at it. And there was another embarrassing moment in my career where it was like, oh, my gosh, like, how did I let this happen again? And it was embarrassing for my family, my wife. It was like, and you're going to always have people to say, oh, he was only good because he took <laughs> whatever. Right. And yeah. we all know there's no magic pill. There's no magic shot. There's no magic anything that can make you average to a Kobe Bryant or a Tom Brady or someone like that. There's no such thing. You still have to put in the work. I was embarrassed, yes, because I got caught. But I knew in that undercurrent of the NFL, there's a lot of guys like myself who played the game at a with a, a level of recklessness that you have to play. Mm -hmm. uh, also, with the uh, gentleman's respect, but – you realize you have to be able to recover. And that was a component that a lot of young guys don't understand. And I was heavily invested into that. I'm with you. If if I could get it shot up when I played, I got it shot up. If I if it, if no it doubt. was Novocaine, if it was going to not do no permanent damage, I was doing it. So, And I think what a lot of people don't understand is that, you know, the job is, is so cutthroat. If you're not in, you know, if you, if you miss two days, uh, for most players, somebody's going to take your job, yeah. and you know, and they're probably doing whatever they can do right. right behind you. So it's tough. A lot of people don't understand that little nugget of information you just let out because the pressure of knowing if you don't perform, they're going to replace you. If you're injured, which everyone who plays a professional sport, you're not 100 percent healthy. You're dealing with something. You know, that's a lot of pressure on, on young people. You know, it, when you're young and you, so much is expected of you, you know, and that's why I think a lot of guys, you know, we train our bodies, but we don't invest heavily into the above the shoulders, man, and the head and the, the mental side of it because that's uh, a lot of the game is the mental side. So when you when it happens, you realize that's it. My career's over. When did you first start noticing maybe something is different with my brain? Man, you know, that's one of those topics where you hear so much throughout the NFL, you know, the last, you know, every year during training camp, they'll have someone come in and talk about CTE and the head trauma. And that's a moment to ask questions and there's no way of fixing it. It's like once you lose it, you can't get it back. Can we find information about how to repair and keep what we have. Like th there has to be more to it. So it's always been on my mind of how can I maintain what I have? And there has to be a more positive rhetoric out here in terms of uh, brain issues when it comes to professional athletes. So for me, it was always on my mind. And even more so when I was finished, when you lose that, what do you say? When you, when you play the game for so long, you're used to being a team. And when you, you know what you, you know what Steve Nash told me one time, and I I'm sorry to interrupt you, no, but no, you're Steve fine. he uh we were talking and and you know I had been long retired and he had recently retired and you know he was going through a little you know just a that first Fun. year or two being out that sort of and I said how you doing he said well you know I miss being around the team he said also I miss going in every day and no with no matter what's going on in your life. Those two hours, you can run around running into people, taking out some frustration, taking out some aggression. 
when that's gone, because that's a habit since you're five years old. Right. Right? Right. And so when that's gone and you can't do that anymore, that void has got to be deep. And especially for you guys in the sport you play. Yeah, there's a ton of, I have some friends now that, now I'm on the other side of things that have been suicidal when they've had, you to that point, they missed that that brotherhood and that camaraderie and it's all taken away from you like that. And now you you're don't thrown. think about it. Yeah. You don't think about it. no one. It's like having a baby. You can read all the books, but you have no idea of how to take care of this little baby until this baby arrives. And it's similar in a sense where everything is taken away. Now you don't know how to, you prepare for it. You thought you prepared for it, but there's no way of preparing for just feeling, feeling a void of, trying to feel a part of something. And for us athletes, a lot of it is self-driven. I want to feel like I'm I'm contributing. And I've had friends who were suicidal. They're doing grief. much better now. It's grief. Yeah. You're yeah. grieving your career. You know, you're in, in grief. That's you something know? I had to learn. Yeah. Miss it. We all do, I think. I think we all do. Um, you know, yeah. so when did CTE really become something in your life? Like, did guys talk about it in the locker room because all that stuff with the lawsuit and the settlement and the Will Smith movie – when was that? While I was playing, guys, it was taboo. Guys didn't really talk about it. You know, it's like you didn't want to just feed that negative that negative rhetoric, you know? Like, you, you, we really didn't talk about it much. But I talked about it a ton with my agent. I talked about it a ton with former guys who were kind of cluing me in on, hey, this is how we need to take care of ourselves. You know, I've actually, you know, I live in, here in D.C., and – I've met a lot of different people and I'm actually later next month, I'm going to a place to specifically address what could possibly be going on in my head. Now, I don't feel any lingering effects, but I want to be proactive on trying to figure out. And this is separate from the NFL because I've had it's like a love hate relationship with the NFL, whatever, whatever information they get. I want to go to someone completely independent to give me results that doesn't affect a lawsuit or, you know, it's just, I feel more no comfortable agenda. doing it. No yes. agenda, right? Yes. Yeah. What have, so you haven't really had any, um, you know, effects of it that you can point to, or even if you can't, do you have, and I, not names, but do you have, I'm sure you have friends that, oh, that yeah. are going through some things. What are oh. some of the things they're going through? Um, you know, one of my friends had a liver transplant at before the age of 40. And it was, I think it was between the, he played linebacker and the trauma of, he was in a culture where you self-medicated, right? And pills, you know, probably, pills, right? alcohol, um, you know, all these different things to cope, you know, and deal with, you know, uh, uh, injuries and, and mental, you know, stress. I saw my buddy on his deathbed and that really... I, we didn't think he was going to make it. And now he's three, four years of sobriety, doing well, he's had two kids. I mean, it was tough to see that. It was it was really tough to see that, man, and and know that, hell, we were doing this, doing these things together at one point, you know, and I, and I felt myself going down a dark place. And luckily for me, I was still playing and he retired. So the things that we talked about just kind of, just manifested and just, you know, went into overdrive. And, uh, you know, it was a dark time, man. It, it really was a dark time. And we went down some, it was like fun when it was happening. Yeah, but I'm with you. 
you know, it, it just, it, you know, you want to live. Now we have kids. You want to live for your kids and you want to be here. You want to enjoy life. And that enjoyment of life is not the fun that I want to go back to. You know, I'm with you. That's growth. That's yeah. growth, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. When the lights are the brightest and being broadcast around the world on game day, you have to succeed or the team will find someone that will fill your spot. Sadly, it's the recovery and sometimes steps to the extreme that have to be taken to ensure you still have your talent and even slot on the roster tomorrow. Competition amongst brothers in the league, but even against ourselves eternally and internally is a battle that happens behind the scenes. Some handle it better than others, but especially in the warlike conditions of the National Football League, the effects can be debilitating. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. I know this is a tough question and not something that can be summed up very quickly, probably. But Mm -hmm. what do you think the NFL's responsibility is in all of this with CTE? What do they need to do? Is there anything they can do? I tell you what, if they really cared about their athletes, they would give us, first of all, the information they provide for the players needs to be on par with, with what's going on. You know, this there's this huge undercurrent of just mixed emotions about the NFL and how they handled the initial information about CTE and did they hold it, did they not. You know, I'm friends with an owner, and I can't name his name, and you know, I feel like the NFL has known about it. And now of recent, we're hearing about 
you know, the Will Smith movie, you know, we're hearing about, you know, we have to hear about the junior sales of the world committing suicide. You know, and if you yeah, ever, how been does around, that affect you guys? How does that affect you guys? You're, I mean, we've lost some amazing, amazing and talented special people in football, you know, especially, you know, recent and, re- and in recent years. How does that affect you and, and your brethren? It scares the shit out of us, man. It scares the shit out of us because you never know. This probably weekly that I have a conversation with my wife. If I can't remember anything, I'm like hypersensitive about it. Is this a trend? Like, like I'm, it's, I'm always thinking about it, always thinking about it. So I try to keep myself as mentally stimulated as possible. I'm not a big reader. I've read so much since the pandemic. Good. You know, Good. it's like I have to keep my my brain turning. And to answer your question about the NFL and what I think they need to do. There needs to be a better transitional um, effort for guys when you're done because, and it's going to come from a former guy. It has to because we we, ha- und- we have rookie transition. Why don't we right. have veteran transition? Right. Yeah, that make that only makes sense. Right, it only makes sense. Right, we can be better just to understand what you're right. What there's we're no about symposium. to get into. Right, there's no yeah. symposium for that transition and there's different resources you can connect. There's is there, but if you're going through something, you don't realize you're going through something. Everyone else. It's mandatory as a rookie. Right. It's, it's mandatory. mandatory as right. a rookie. <laughs> right. 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 I mean, right. that's the first step. Right. And now you, yeah. you, now as that creates some buzz, now you have doctors and, and sports psychiatrists. We have to create this platform of disarming ourselves to, in order to be better for ourselves. And that's, you know, a lot of guys are weird about, seeing a, a psychiatrist hell like that i wish i would have seen one years ago you know so i think the the culture is slowly changing in terms of how barbaric it used to be and how it is now uh with social media and everything like that you can't the nfl has to respect you know with the social change that's going on and all these other different platforms these players have but this well how how many times would you deliver a hit in a game or get hit in the game where you knew you should come out for a second, but you didn't, you know, cause that, right. that was nothing right. that you guys did at that point. Right? right. Right. I mean, now they've got spotters and they, I right. know it's right. a little different now, but I used to watch you guys all the time and I'm, I'm surprised you guys aren't hurt on every play, every single play. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But I, I just wonder how many times you're out there and for a play or two, if not more, you're you don't really remember what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Oh, that I mean, I can't even count how many times that's happened. You know, until probably my fifth or sixth year, you you see a shift in the NFL of how they address things. You mentioned the spotters and there's this emphasis and push on player safety all of a sudden. Why? You know, because the lawsuits were creeping up, so they have to protect themselves and I remember an instance I was in, um, this is when I knew the league had changed. I was playing in Indy, and I think we were playing the Giants. And I read a play, a backside puller was pulling, and I met him in the hole. I saw it coming. All I remember is taking a step, and then when I, I saw the film later, I got hit in the temple, and I blacked out, right? And I got up, and me being the person that I am, you know, you come to and all these people are looking at you and they're asking you all these questions. Now I'm getting pissed at them because they think I'm, they know something, I've been blacked out, but in my mind, I'm like, I'm not coming out, like blah, blah, blah. You know, they ask me all these questions. What's your name? Who do you play for? 
you know, and I at that moment, I heard some players, a guy named Darius Butler, when it happened, they were screaming, come, come, come. I remember that vividly. And uh, there was another instance where I got my bell rung, and same guy, he approached me, he's like, hey, man, you you got one more snap, and I'm letting the, the right people know, you know, you're not right. I'm like, nah, man, I, I need this, I need this, man. I, you know, I'm, my money's tied up, and mm-hmm. it's incentive-based. You know, I was like, man, I need this, man. It's a conflict. It's a conflict of mm-hmm. interest. And, you know, there's some things I've done to my body when I was much younger trying to figure out, you know, how to survive. And when my contract was literally, I made money based on if I would play on Sunday. If you're available. I, I, get, yeah. I give, you, give you a quick story. So I had never had shin splints. This was early in my career. I never had shin splints before in my life. I used to think people who got shin splints were just yeah. overreacting. Until Faking I wake it, yeah. up. Right. Until I wake <laughs> up one Sunday morning and my shins are on fire. I'm like, what in the hell is this? So I knew a nurse. I call a nurse. He's like, hey, I was like, I need some Toradol. I need some Toradol pills and I need some Percocet. And she got me both. And when I tell you the worst, like those are the, one of those moments in my career where I look back, I'm like, man, you were, like that was the dumbest thing I could have done. But during that time, it made the most sense. I mean, I had taken three or four Percocet, you know, I had, you know, Toradol. You know, Toradol, you don't feel anything. Hey, me and a t- I won't say the name, but a teammate of mine late in our career, mm-hmm. um, for the last two years, our doctor would give us Toradol at home before the games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they wouldn't trust, you know, we couldn't do it on the road. So right. we right. would pack two syringes of Toradol, and he and I would give each other Toradol shots before yep. the game. Same, same. That was my that was my life. <laughs> that was my life. I did it for many years, man, just to survive. You know, talk about for a minute the the self experiments and things you're doing. You know, why you're doing them, and and what do you hope comes out of them? Yeah, man. So you know, one of the ways I'm trying to help myself and help other people that are transitioning, some of my buddies particularly, is to start the podcast, the Athletes Unplugged. You know, I realize. If we can have these conversations with each other and we can compare similar stories, you and I, it's therapeutic and you feel like you're wanted. You feel like you're a part of something. I've never been afraid to, even when I was playing Rex, I knew I was on my way out sort of because the things that I was, you know, for instance, I haven't really talked about this openly, but there's this undercurrent of veteran players in the National Football League who advise some of these younger guys if they're injured right like i had a rocky you know experience with team doctors so i've always taken a stance of if you're diagnosed with something go get a second opinion they'll pay for it they'll fly you out go get Mm -hmm. a second opinion and now i haven't been in the locker room in five years but i'm quite sure this element of that culture still exists where they look down on you you know as a veteran coaching these guys of how to take care of their bodies and how to be an independent contractor. You know, and I was a huge component of that the older I got because I had saved my money, I had done the right things, and if you were going to kick me out based on that, then I was okay. But I didn't want – my fear was I didn't want this young person to ever – for us to ever cross paths years later and and be mad or resent me for not telling him how to manage this business. So I would have these conversations with coaches. You know, you've had, I've been put in situations where 
hey, a guy has a baby. You know, hey, you're the leader. Hey, can you just train him? Hey, you know, we really want him to stay. I'm like, what What the hell you want me to tell him? If you want, <laughs> what I'm going to tell him, you better go see your baby because you got to live with your yeah. baby's mother for the rest of your life. You know, I'm not doing that. You know, it's like, what are we doing here? I'm going to be the bad guy for you. <laughs> right. That's not happening. <laughs> it's not happening. And so, you know, I, I became a little, not, not rebellious, but I, I, be, I, I, get I realized like, man, this it's not all about the game. I love it unequivocally. Love it. Love everything about it. But you know, I'm not going to lose myself in it. No, and that, it is powerful that, to share. I mean, there are plenty of things that I saw going in the locker room that you know couldn't fly today that <laughs> right. I didn't say shit about. Right. You know, and right. that I look back like, man, ah, oh, you know, and you have regrets yeah. about that. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're older. Then I guess that's just maturity. What What do you think about the game of football now, Dequell? What advice would you give parents or young people playing the game today? Yeah, I think it's a great tool for young people. Young people playing it, I think it's a great tool to teach them about how to keep pushing forward and push through fears, push through failure, right? I think it's a great tool for that. However, I would suggest any parent that wants to put their kid into a contact sport like football. Listen, I played 11 years and I'm indifferent. If my son wants to play, I can't stop him. But I would wait until his later years to throw him in the, that contact sport. And I think it's a great game. And honestly, I don't want him playing football. I really don't. I know the ugly side of it and the pressure that mounts on it. And if you're not built for it, you're not going to last. It could tear you down. And I'm not trying to, you know, make it seem like feel sorry for professional athletes. Listen, they make a lot of money doing what they love, but it's an exorbitant amount of sacrifice that goes into it that everyone pays the price. And when you're done playing, you know, we talked about a lot of those different things. But what I would tell people, do your homework, do your homework, understand the level of stress and the level of danger you're putting your kid through. And you assess it there because for me, I don't want my son playing. Honestly, I love the game of football, but I don't want my son playing football. I I just don't. I just don't. I've been through so many dark days, and I don't feel comfortable with that right now. I'm proud that you're able to voice this because, think about it, you guys are the first generation to have this information, Mm -hmm. right? Right. I mean, essentially, you're the first generation to have this information as young people, right? Are there any causes, any organizations you want to bring attention to, Dequell? You know, not at this moment, but can I bring some attention to my podcast as well? Absolutely. Listen, uh, I'm trying to create a platform like you and I to talk about everything underneath the sun. You know, it's at, it's called Athletes Unplugged. Uh, there's three things that most people that know me know I enjoy doing. I like smoking a cigar. <laughs> I like some red right. wine, and I love my whiskey. And I try to, <laughs> I try to create that platform, that space. Is I feel like I've had some of the most meaningful conversations at my house by the fire pit when those three things were involved. Uh, obviously under control, but yeah, yep. uh, but I'm, it's therapeutic. I want people to just experience it, and, and we have fun. We have laughs. We talk about real stuff, similar to what you're doing. And I'm bringing all my friends on the ride with me. Man, that's great. I, I can't wait to check it out. You let me know. I'll, I'll come on anytime you want. Thanks. I can't thank you enough to quell for being on the show, sharing your story with all of us. You know, we're rooting for you and your health. And if there's ever anything I can do, my door is always open. Thanks, my guy. 
Rex, I I really appreciate it, man. I get to talk to a, a NBA <laughs> star, man. That that's great, man. So I would love to have you on the podcast. Uh, we could talk more about anything you want to talk about, and uh, I'm here for you. anything you need from me. I'm here for you, brother. Thanks, man. Appreciate All right, it. You got it. Charges, sharing our run-ins with the law. Charges, athletes, entertainers, and ballers. Charges, every celebrity ain't flawless. Charges, we came a long way from living lawless. Charges, sharing our run-ins with the law. Charges, athletes, entertainers, and ballers. Charges, every celebrity ain't flawless. Charges, we came a long way from living lawless. Charges. Charges is created by Portal A and Control Media. It's produced by DB Podcasts in association with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.